When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. On today's show, I'm going to talk about NFTs with someone on our team who's actually made real money with them. Can you get rich quick? We're going to talk it through. And later, taxes. There are new rates that have been published by the IRS, new brackets, I'm going to tell you what you can still do before the end of the year that'll help your wallet. So Christopher is with me from Team Clark, a a brilliant guy, an incredible writer. And Christopher, you are someone with so many different interests. It's fascinating when I talk to you about something because you drill into whatever it is to a level that is unreal and I can ask you a question about different things, and you will give me uh, more knowledge than I can possibly even process. And how do you like that for an introduction? That was a heck of an introduction. And I guess that all comes down to, I started out as a, as a newspaper reporter in print journalism, and I uh, graduated in 2008. It's maybe the worst time in human history to go into newspapers, but I guess that curiosity has always uh, been a part of who I am. So when people call me when something has been overheated over the last two years, I talk through, you know, why the values don't make any sense, blah, blah, blah. And you take something like that and you run off and make big money on the fact that something might be a mania. And you've done that yourself with NFTs. So you got to lay it out for people, that thought process, and how you have been so successful with something that I've not made fun of, but I have minimized the real value of. Yeah, I think if you're sitting there and you know about NFTs, but you haven't participated in it, and you've only seen some of the media headlines, um, I don't think you'll understand like the nuance and the complexity that goes along with it. And it would take probably hours to fully explain everything about NFTs. But I think like most uh, sort of new emerging technologies, especially that have a financial angle to them, a couple of things really matter. One is being early, right? Um, getting in, before most people know it exists and before a lot of other people and money are flowing into this space. And then two, I think is like anything that's sort of new and not necessarily regulated. And it's sort of the wild west in a lot of ways, getting to sort of engage in the space deep enough so that you understand which people to listen to, what makes sense or doesn't make sense. It requires a set of skills that goes beyond just 
hey, this thing is hot, so I'm going to put money into it, or, hey, this thing is clearly overvalued. Why would anybody pay this much for a picture on the Internet? Um, you have to go way beyond that if you want to sort of understand it. And So, if you're so gonna... give me, if you would, a brief, simple definition of non-fungible tokens. What, what actually is that supposed to be? Yeah, so most people think that a non-fungible token is just a picture, right? Because a lot of the projects like CryptoPunks, I'm sure somebody might have heard of out there that are now worth millions of dollars in some cases. It's just like a pixel pixel art, right? It's just like a JPEG. But a non-fungible token really is a smart contract that lives on the blockchain. And the technology is the thing that a lot of the people are super excited about because of the applications that it could have in the future. And we're talking about a potentially, if you have a car, maybe your title will be on the blockchain as an NFT or the deed to your, your house or your mortgage could be an NFT in the future, renewing your driver's license. So there's a lot of applications that go beyond just a picture, but really it's sort of a a smart contract that, that's sort of a permanent public record on a ledger that in theory cannot be modified or deleted or lost or controlled by any central authority. All right. So that was, that was really a beautiful definition of it, better than any I've given when I've been asked questions by people about NFTs. But here's my thing. So you have managed to essentially mine the market, you've been able to find the right opportunities that there was buzz about before there was buzz about them. You rode them up and I guess you have turned that into real profits. You have sold your a lot of your positions or are you still holding what are known as paper profits? Yeah, so I've done both. I've uh, taken some of my gains and I've also holding some other ones. And one of the, it's funny that you're talking about taxes on this show because the word, the word that kind of sends shivers down the spines of most people in the NFT world is taxes. Um, because taxes, if you're selling an NFTs in less than a year, can be very harsh, especially if it's for big money. And that's just like one of the many skill sets that you need if you're actually going to profit from NFTs. Sort of like betting on sports where it sounds fun if you could do it for a living or poker, but when you get into actually what it takes to actually do it successfully, it's not something you can just do for fun. It takes maybe more work than it does to make money in a, in a normal job in most cases. So you are turning one of my longtime rules on its head. I've always said over the years that pioneers get slaughtered so settlers can get rich. You, in this case, have pioneered very early getting involved in NFTs, you have managed to turn both real profits, positions you've sold, and paper profits that are really incredible. And at the same time, you think that the settlers are not going to get rich in this space. The people who come after Yeah, you. I mean, I think like in April or May of this year, 2021, there was maybe 10 well-known NFT projects that were coming out every week. And probably three or four of them would 10x within a week or two. And you could 10x your money, sell, and then go into another project. Well, now there's probably 150 or 200 well-known NFT projects coming out every two or three days. And maybe one or two of those will end up really, really strong. So 
I think at first you didn't have to be super sharp to be able to pick out the projects that would do well. Whereas now it's like taking a needle out of a haystack and it takes a huge amount of skill and connection to be able to do that now. So I'm curious, do you, based on, you're right in the weeds, you're right in the middle of it. Do you look at this as an investment or are you a sophisticated speculator? Which would you put yourself in? I would say it can be a little of both. And obviously, anytime you're talking about this, there's a a huge discrepancy between the financial circumstances of each individual person. And I would also say anything in crypto, whether it's NFTs or otherwise, the, the valuation is very volatile and risky and it changes very, very quickly. So I think it would be a mistake for almost anyone to rely on this for you know, retirement or um, as part of like their overall net worth. But for me and my wife, uh, we just finished paying off our, her student loans last year. We're in our mid thirties and, you know, we put just a little bit of money into this and it's grown so large that some of it is probably going to turn into something more akin to an investment, but that's not what we, what we started out intending to do. It was definitely more like you would call sort of play money when we originally invested. But if you were in early, that play money could have grown so large that, you know, it's sort of playing with house money uh, at this point. So, so you, you speak like a true gambler, you know that, right? Well, yes, that, that's right. I, uh, I do have some experience in sports betting. And again, I think that it takes a huge amount of various skills that like it's, you got to know data, you got to know money, bankroll management, you got to know risk, you got to know a million other things. And it's very rare that you can have that in one person. And even if you do, it's still risky at that point. So it's like a lot of work and a lot of risk. And if you're just looking to like make quick money, uh, none of this stuff is something you should go near at all. Um, If you're looking at it as maybe like a hobby that you are using only money that you would spend on other hobbies with, and um, but you may have some chance to get some return just as an entertainment thing, then, then there's a chance. But it's very, very difficult for somebody to make money doing this, and it takes a lot of different skill sets to, to do that. Well, Christopher, thank you very much. It's great to have you talk about it because when I was talking to you about this um, the other day, it was fascinating listening to how you process the information. And congratulations to you, uh, first of all, pre-NFT, that uh, you and your wife worked so hard to eliminate her student loans. Now you're in a position financially to take uh, side bets like this. You've made it work, and I wish you and her tremendous success moving forward. Yeah, thank you, Clark, and I appreciate you having me on. And now uh, that was wow. That was so interesting. He is so smart. Oh my gosh! Read any of his stuff on Clark.com. Christopher Smith. He's a brilliant writer. Thanks, Christopher. Okay, so we'll get to some questions here. Uh, This one says this one's from Carrie in Oregon. My husband has started buying gold and silver bars a few times a year and has about thirty thousand dollars worth. Is that a good investment, or would it be better to buy gold stocks? 
So I have a big bias here, and my preference is that you buy a gold ETF or ETN where you have someone else who's responsible for storing the precious metal. You're not in a position where you have to worry about theft of it from you. And I know there are people who believe that the reason to have physical gold or silver is because of uh, extreme civil disorder in society, a breakdown, chaos, and all that, that having an ETF, an ETN, uh, exchange-traded fund or exchange-traded notes, is not going to give you the power that having gold is going to give you if there is societal disorder. Um, I have trouble thinking into that realm, and I just think of the efficiency of avoiding the really expensive buy-sell spread when you buy physical silver or physical gold, and then you got to figure out where to store it, what to do with it. And that's why I do prefer uh, precious metals funds or gold funds when you are interested in having gold, silver, or other precious metals as a hedge against rough times. And I apologize, I did not uh, capture this person's name that wrote in. It's totally my fault. But they said, love your show and force my children to listen to you when they're in the car with me. They're That's cruel. Nine, eight, and six. They'll love you and appreciate it later. I ran across a real estate investment company and was hoping to get your thoughts on it. Uh, they, pay un- they buy underperforming multifamily homes, renovate them, and pay dividends on the cash flow and sell the properties at the end of five years. You can take the payout or you can reinvest. Is, there, is this a viable or at least not a stupid way to invest in real estate if you're not in a position to make big investments but would like to add it to your portfolio? Yeah, so the real issue, anytime you get involved in a real estate partnership, which these usually are, or there'll be some form of uh, trust, a real estate investment trust, is what are the underlying expenses you're having to pay to be in it? So you want to know what uh, equivalent of participation fee, what commissions you have to pay up front, and what percent you're paying for management over time. And there should be a disclosure document available to you that lays that out. The other thing is that when you go into one of these things, it is what's known as illiquid, meaning that if you needed the money at some time during the cycle that you've agreed to, the money is not available to you. So those two things, one, you just have to have a heads up about the fact that it's not liquid. The other is where I really want you to dig in and see what the underlying expenses are. There are choices you can go into that have ultra-low costs where you diversify more than what this fund is doing, where you're able to own a broad waterfront of real estate, for example, in a REIT index fund, a real estate investment trust index fund, where it owns little pieces of all different kinds of real estate and all different operators at very low cost with the ability to get in and get out at will, as you wish. You know, I got good news for you on the tax front. I mean, when does anybody ever say there's good news on the tax front? Never. But I got some for you, and that's coming straight ahead. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The other day I talked to you about how the amount you could contribute to retirement accounts has adjusted upward for a lot of different retirement accounts except for Roth and traditional IRAs. And now I want to talk about something that is really, really important that you understand with decisions you make about where you put your money, and that is the tax rates we have both on regular earnings and then the tax rates we have on investment earnings. So those have just been adjusted for next year. And it's significant, first of all, that people who go into tax avoidance strategies that are pitched, why they should buy life insurance or why they should buy annuities or whatever is a way to beat the tax man, it's really way oversold and usually a very poor way for you to put money aside for investing. And let me tell you why I'm so big on that. So let's say, uh, let's talk single individual and married couple. So a single individual, max tax on your earnings up to earning $170,000 a year is 24%. I said max tax. Why did I say that? Because it works where the first so many dollars you earn in a year are taxed at this, the next so many taxed at that. Give you an idea, up to $41,000 a year for a single individual, you're taxed at 12%. And then it jumps from there to 22, then 24. But 24 covers most income earners in the United States earn substantially less than 170000 a year. Uh, married couples, 340000 in family income. And that's way outside what most families earn. In fact, the typical family in the United States, the max tax you pay in income tax is 12%. 12%. And here's the bonus. So you put money in a savings account. The puny interest you earn on it is taxed at the same, same tax rate is what you get from your paycheck. But if instead you invest that money, how are you taxed? Well, glad you asked that. Because most people in the United States pay a 0% tax rate on investments. So it's capital gains tax. Because for a married couple, your income has to be over $83,000 a year before you have to pay a higher tax rate, which is 15%. Single individuals, 41.6. So the key I want you to get is that 
simple, low-cost investments that, yeah, you might have to pay tax on them at the time you sell them, are a really tax-efficient way for you to invest, especially if you use these things I call index, well, I don't call them index funds. They are called (laughs) index funds, where you put money in a basket of thousands of stocks, sometimes as little as 500, and you don't have a churn of buying and selling, buying and selling. The money in there grows tax-deferred, and then when it's taxed, it's at the very low capital gains tax rates, And for many taxpayers, that is a 0% rate, which is not low. That is no tax owed. And that's why there's an even greater incentive in the marketplace for people who earn up to $500,000 a year to invest rather than save. The tax code is bent towards encouraging you to invest. There are people who will not invest. My wife has a relative who has never owned a stock or fund in his life. It frightens him too much. So his money is only in banks, in savings accounts and CDs. The consequence of that is that he can't out-earn inflation, and he's paying the same tax rate on what those CDs and savings accounts earn as he does on his paycheck where the entire tax structure is set up to encourage you to invest. Now, of course, I always start with Roth IRA, Roth, 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 because you know that's going to be tax-free, earning and spending. Um, But the thing is, when you outrun the $6,000 you can put in a Roth, it's not the worst thing in the world. In fact, it can be very productive in your life, to put money in index funds or their cousin or sibling exchange-traded funds because you have such favorable tax treatment. And depending on your earnings, they're going to be at very, very, very low uh, taxes that you have to pay when you do sell them down the road. And they don't have to be held for retirement like things in retirement accounts. Now, who is it who earns enough who might consider looking at weirdo strategies with insurance. People who make over $500,000 a year. So that's you, Krista, and I don't know who else. So um, we're talking about almost nobody is earning that kind of money that you should look at insurance strategies as a way to minimize tax liability using a fiduciary right to help which you is make very hard to find with insurance yeah there are very few people that sell insurance that forego commission in return for you paying them a fee to advise you on insurance as a strategy now in uh big uh for very wealthy people business owners that own a business has been successful There are uh, lawyers that specialize in wills, estates, and trusts that will have insurance strategies they want you to look at, but they will refer you to someone who is an insurance seller who is willing to be a fiduciary. The reason in the insurance industry being a fiduciary is like talking about somebody's mama (laughs) is it leads to much lower income for them 
because they're doing what's best for you instead of what's best for them. The insurance industry from the ground up is wired to be hostile to doing what's best for a customer. Uh, By the way, if you sell insurance and I have offended you, please go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and share a different perspective with me. Krista? All right. This question's from Chase in New Mexico. Is it a good idea to add the service line coverage and the home systems protection to homeowners insurance? My insurance company also says that because my house is older, built in 1973, they will only cover 50% of the claim on those coverages. This one's been hard for me to answer forever because the risk with uh, the things that your insurer is only willing to cover a small amount of half in your case, and they are older, they could deteriorate, they could be a problem. The risk is still relatively small, but the out-of-pocket you could face is quite a bit. If you were someone who has pretty good savings in hand, and there has not been, if you're in a uh, development with a lot of homes that were developed by the same developer or builder, and people have not had big problems with service lines, then I would say forego it, or if you have good savings, forego it. Otherwise, if a big out-of-pocket would be brutal for you when a repair needed to take place, then this is coverage reluctantly, I could tell you, is okay to buy. From Jennifer in California, I've been receiving letters in the mail for bounced checks. Someone's writing bad checks using my name and address. No other information on the checks is correct. I am not affiliated with the banks the checks are issued from or the different company names on the checks. I have my credit frozen and contacted my regular bank to let them know I'm experiencing fraud. What else should I do? Okay, Jennifer, I'm shallow breathing and I want to be careful I'm doing a deep breath now, how I answer this, because this has been a story I've done too many times in my TV work. First of all, it is disturbing to me that a criminal was able, impersonating you, to open checking accounts as if they were you. In fact, they're using your address, the bounce check's coming to you. The greatest danger is that someone who's received a bounce check doesn't verify identity, and swears out a warrant for your arrest. It is something where you then become a criminal defendant. You have to hire a lawyer to defend you. You will eventually get it cleared up just fine, but it's a mess in between. Uh, As far as what else you can do, it is a a hard process, and there is a, a system the banks use that's a database that is different from the ones that are used for the credit bureaus, Equifax, TransUnion, Experian. There are a couple of competitors in this area. The bank that has issued an account to somebody impersonating you, you need to find out what database they rely on and put yourself on their fraud alert system. There will be an equivalent of a freeze for checking accounts where they go through extra steps to verify your identity. And I am really sorry this happened to you. I am nervous about telling you how bad it could go for you with this, at least for a while. But you need to be aware that this is an all-hands-on-deck kind of thing that you need to uh, put an alert on any database the banks are using 
to verify identity when somebody comes in because somebody has a fake driver's license with your name with their picture on it and your home address and that is a problem for you going forward until you can shut this down as best you can and please follow up with me in a month or two and let me know if you're having any terrible consequences from this or need more advice. And file a police report. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you. You always want to file a police report so you have that that you keep on your person so that in the event that someone comes and says, hey, we're serving you for bad checks or they want to arrest you for bad checks, you want to provide documentation so that hopefully they will not go forward with an arrest or something like that because you've already taken action about this to try to clear your name. On a much lighter note, Mike in North Carolina says, am I being too paranoid about driving? My 2016 Toyota bought from Carvana is now selling on Carvana for three dollars to $5,000 more than we paid for it three and a half years ago. If I'm in an accident and total it, a few concerns surface. First, will I be able to find a replacement car? Second, will insurance make me whole enough to pay for a replacement car? These possibilities have me think I should drive as little as possible. So, Mike, um, it is nuts what's going on with used vehicle values right now. There's such a shortage of used vehicles for sale that it has caused this spike that has lasted longer than I expected. But the chip shortage for auto manufacturers that is the domino that's caused a lot of this has gone on longer than I expected. So, uh, yes, there's a real problem with insurers relying on obsolete databases in the event your vehicle is totaled in an accident that they are not going to want to give you fair reimbursement for the value of your vehicle. And you have to be prepared to fight them on the value of your vehicle if it is totaled. The good news is the odds you're going to be in an accident are pretty low, and especially the odds you'll be in an accident that totals your vehicle lower yet, and hopefully that you're not hurt in any accident. So the scenarios you paint, true, but the chances you're going to face uh, Armageddon for your wallet, not true necessarily, because you're going to stand up for yourself and you're going to fight for fair value on your vehicle. If you have a vehicle totaled or stolen and not recovered, do not take at face value the offer made by your insurance company for the value of your vehicle. You have to stand up for your wallet and yourself and present evidence that the value the insurer is offering is way below market value. And most people go like sheep with whatever the insurance company offers. Don't do that. So maybe a little paranoid, but if you're if you were going to say, should I take this drive I want to take, you know, take for leisure, the drive take you want to take. Okay, got to live your life, right? <laughs> and by the way, if we didn't get to your question, or you'd like some serious one-on-one advice, we got that for you, and it's free and has been so for almost 29 years. You can speak with a member of the Team Clark Consumer Action Center Monday through Friday. Eastern Time Zone, 10 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. Available at 636-49-CLARK.